0: This is Reset, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have you ever dreamed of living on the lakefront here in Chicago? Yeah, me too. Waking up to the sun rising over the horizon or seeing sailboats glide on, by on a summer's day, getting to have those daily views, well that would be hard to beat. But while that still may be just a dream, on this week's episode of What's That Building, I got a little taste of what that might be like. In another installment of our Chicago Icon series, We've been doing all summer. Our architecture sleuth decided to take me to 860 and 880 North Lakeshore Drive, two residential towers by the renowned architect, Mies van der Rohe. But before we got there, we made a stop a little bit north of the gleaming towers. All right, Dennis, good to see you again. How are you? Doing well, here we are downtown once again. This time though, we're next to Lakeshore Drive, which is pretty cool. I don't think I've actually walked this particular stretch. We're standing in front of a large brick building. So I gotta ask, what should we know about it?
1: Well, so I brought you here for the contrast to what we're actually going to see. Oh. This is 999 Lakeshore Drive. So this is, and you can see when you look off to our west, there's this row of old fashioned co-op and condo buildings. These are all residential. And they all sort of look backward. They're all European-inspired. This one at 999 was built in 1912. And you can see, it looked, the architect is Benjamin Marshall, and it looks like he went over to Paris and brought back a souvenir yeah. to put in, in Chicago.
0: Definitely has a European feel. Also, it reminds me of buildings I've seen in Montreal, too, growing up in Canada.
1: Most of those were also built in a backward-looking era, right? So then a man named uh, Ludwig Mies van der Rohe comes to Chicago in 1937. Uh, He has also put the World Wars behind him. World War II hasn't yet happened, Mm -hmm. but the Nazis have uh, pushed him and other modernists to the side in Germany because they like the more sort of bombastic kind of art and architecture Mm -hmm. than these modernists like Mies van der Rohe are doing in Germany. So he ends up leaving, comes here in 1937 to teach at what's now the Illinois Institute of Technology. He builds his first building in Chicago in 1943 and you can actually sort of connect it to a building like this because while what we're going to see is very very glassy he's still in 1943 at IIT building with a lot of brick and some glass and that's going to be important when you see how glassy he ends up building in 1949 down the street here I
0: see well as you've teased already Dennis this is actually not the building that we're going to focus on today we're going to focus on the contrast to this building so why don't we Go ahead and head to the main event. Great. Okay, so Dennis, now we've moved and we're outside of two Mies van der Rohe towers. And wow, I mean... This looks very different than what you just showed me a moment ago.
1: It does, I mean, think about the fact we're under this canopy between these two buildings, they're standing up, they're essentially designed to look as if they're floating above the ground, while what we were looking at was very heavy, really met the ground, had a lot of stone, the, the windows were the really the minority of the wall, while here it's the majority of the wall. Right. The whole idea was to build something that was unlike what came before, that feels very weightless, that feels manufactured. You can see see it's all steel and glass. I
0: mean, these stilts really stand out as soon as we approach the building. I mean, they just look incredible. And I wonder how this building is even standing.
1: And I think that's part of the, that's part of the conceit, right? Modernists, not only Mies, but they would put buildings up on pilotis like this because it was meant to make you think we've used a heavy industrial material in a light way.
0: And we're standing underneath the building, technically. Yeah,
1: right, exactly. We're standing under a canopy that connects the two. And that's actually a good point to make because these two buildings are at right angles from each other. And one of the things that accomplishes is everybody on all four sides of each building gets windows, gets a view. But there's another reason that they're like this. Um, Mies was working for a developer, Herbert Greenwald, who was using the land of a co-developer, Robert McCormick. McCormick's family owned most of this land. Northwestern owned, Northwestern University owned okay. a little bit of it. So to make a deal with Northwestern, he had to agree, McCormick had to agree, that the people to the west of here would still have views to the lake. So these two buildings are set apart like this to preserve a view corridor.
0: Oh, oh my gosh, I had no idea.
1: Yeah, it's actually... That's actually
0: pretty genius.
1: It is, it is. And it becomes... Uh, Mies was already sort of building buildings as towers separated from one another, but it becomes much more sort of the standard after he does it here, because having them turn to each other, which is partly a response to this curve out front of Mm -hmm. of the lakefront, um, turns out to be a really nice... It looks more dynamic, right? If you build two decks of cards next to each other, it kind of looks static, but when you turn one, it looks more dynamic. And then the other thing that it does is, this of course was not intended at the time, but a couple of decades later, the Hancock Tower now with a different name is built. It's sort of a descendant of the Miesian buildings and it's right there at the end of our view.
0: So cool, you know, that name, Ludwig Mies van der Rohe, it's a household name here in Chicago. And so many of us, to your point, we are used to seeing these rectangular buildings made of steel and glass, they're all over the city. But at the time, how were these designs received?
1: I think it was sort of a divided, Response: People who were really looking toward the modern world, who were looking ahead, who were thinking, we've got to get out of the 19th century. We've got to get out of the world wars. People like that were very, very fond of these buildings. It's one of the reasons that Herbert Greenwald and Mies van der Rohe could then go on to build another two just north of us, many more. And and again, it was replicated around the country because there was such a, a hunger for this kind of a building. But there were then, and you know, there still are today. People who say that these buildings look bland; mm-hmm. they look sort of humdrum. I think they look simple and elegant,
0: very minimalist, yeah, for sure. I mean, just if you're into lines, <laughs> straight lines, right? This is your deal.
1: And I think at the time there were people who got that. And one of the problems, I think, one of the reasons people say that today, that they're boring, is that there were so many of these buildings built. Like if there were just these two, they would stand out around the world. Yeah, that's true. But there have been dozens, hundreds, thousands built everywhere. Copycats. Yeah. And and because it's such a simple look, it really almost starts to look as if they've been stamped out by a factory. And so people get a little more bored with it.
0: So Dennis, these are residential buildings. So I mean, I'm guessing we can't go in.
1: Actually, I have a surprise for you. We arranged to go inside one that's for sale.
0: Really? Okay.
1: So Sasha, the reason I brought you up here to the 12th floor is this is where you can really see the effect of those walls of windows.
0: Wow, this is incredible.
1: Yeah, isn't it? Doesn't it feel as if we are actually floating above the lake? It does. And look, below us we've got boats and jet skis, there are swimmers training. So imagine, remember the older buildings we looked at with wall, block walls with windows in them, you just wouldn't have this experience of the water.
0: I literally feel like I'm on top of Lake Michigan right now. This is awesome.
1: Isn't this amazing? So this is the point. from 1921, Mies was trying to maximize the amount of glass in a building. He designed a building for a competition called Friedrichstrasse in Germany, mm-hmm. where he wrapped the building in glass. He called mm-hmm. it the skin and bones architecture, the bones being the steel that holds up the building, the skin being the glass. Right. That's 1921. It's a few decades before this, where it's actually actualized. This is the first time people really see that skin-and-bones architecture he had in mind, and look at the effect of it.
0: It's incredible, and now as we get closer to the windows, I mean, we're looking right down at Lakeshore Drive.
1: Right, but do you hear it? Not at all. Isn't that great? (laughs) It's on mute. Yeah, so Lakeshore Drive, of course, would have been narrower at the time, wouldn't have been the eight lanes it is now, but yeah, the idea is you were sitting up here above this busy urban highway, looking out at one of the most peaceful scenes there is, in Chicago
0: yeah it's beautiful and so I'm, I'm super interested in a little bit more about Vandreau and his intentions here I remember in a previous episode of what's that building you and I talked about the Farnsworth house um, I recall that also had this minimalist design as well and we had another conversation where we discussed briefly the, the Dirksen federal building as well so I mean what was he trying to accomplish with these structures Well, let's talk first about
1: the Edith Farnsworth House. It's completed at almost the same time as these buildings. And it's essentially the same concept, but in a rural setting. It's about 40 miles southwest of the city in Plano. He's building for a a Chicago physician, Edith Farnsworth, a house that is just glass sandwiched between two panels, ceiling and floor. And here, for several dozen apartments, he's doing the same thing. So the idea is, The building disappears and the natural surroundings fill in, whether you're out there on the banks of the Fox River or you're here on Lake Michigan. And then you mentioned the federal building, the post office there, his his Martin Luther King uh, Mm -hmm. Library in Washington, so many buildings, whatever is outside comes in, whether it's other office buildings, people on the street, there's just so much more of a connection to the outdoors.
0: So what was it that you would say about his design that was so revolutionary and so inspirational to other architects?
1: Well, I think it was that idea that you're not looking backward anymore at any of those historical precedents. You're doing something like this that you can only do in a manufacturing age with the steel beams and the glass walls. And we can use this space in so many different ways. So we just mentioned a library, an office building, a a rural house, apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, it's universal space that can be used in so many different ways. And so then it was, it was replicated all over the country and all over the world.
0: And so we're inside this unit at 860 North Lakeshore drive. I'm curious, Dennis, I gotta ask, how much does something like this cost?
1: Well, so we're in a three-bedroom unit, and we are on the side that has the view of the lake. You would pay less if you were looking into the city. Yeah, this quite one, the view. it is, yeah. Um, this one's priced at six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Oh, that's it. That's it.
0: Just a cool six seventy-five. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how would you characterize the legacy uh, of Mies van der Rohe here in Chicago, specifically? Well, I
1: think like Frank Lloyd Wright, he comes in and creates something that everybody loves, that many, many people try to copy, either well or poorly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so his name, Chicago's name, Chicago architecture, gets carried all over the country, all over the world. Mies is really, he's a symbol of 20th century Chicago. We were a manufacturing hub. We were booming. We were also very much a city, very much an urban place. And he taught us how to make... Buildings for the manufacturing age.
0: Well, Dennis, I'm in love. I I think I might stay here, but I am loving the fact that you've taken me to all these wonderful places downtown. I do wonder what you have up your sleeve for our next adventure though.
1: I wanna get you out of downtown. Okay. There's another kind of an icon that we're going to take a look at next time.
0: Ooh, I'm intrigued, can't wait.